Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. To the program. This is the New Life Lutheran Podcast. I am here with Pastor Ben, and we are closing out our series on the row. The past three months or so, we've been walking through our big gatherings, Saturday night and then two Sunday morning gatherings, and we've uh, been exploring all the different elements of those. We've been exploring what makes them similar, what makes them different. We've been doing a lot of historical exploration and biblical exploration as well, talking about those elements, the kind of the common elements between our three services. And now we're at the end. We're at the very last one. And um, so I think that this is good timing um, at this point because we're right at the end of May. So we're coming right to the end, uh, right at the end end of May. So the last thing that we do when we gather, we've talked about all these things. We do confession and forgiveness. We um, sing songs. We hear the word read out loud. And the last thing that all of our services have that is common, the same thing, is the benediction. And we always do the same benediction at every service. And so um, we're going to explore that today. So, Pastor Ben, why don't you tell us, how do we do the benediction here at New Life? Uh, well, the benediction is at the end of the service. It's a, it's a closing service blessing given to the people. And, and just simplistically, we'll get into this later, but it, it follows the format of a blessing given by God to the priests in the Old Testament, and it was a blessing that they gave the people. And so we follow in that pattern. And like I said, we'll get into why we do that when that kind of kicked back in and all those things. But we do it at the end of the service. So at every one of our services, you would experience this uh, this benediction, this blessing given to you. In our second service, it, it happens right before uh, the dismissal or sending. And in our first service, it happens before our closing song, which is also the same for our Saturday service. And so um, oftentimes we'll have people stand in second service. We don't just because it would be clunky in the way that we run that format, but people will stand the the pastor will give the benediction and, and typically raise his hands in the air to, to give God's blessing or to let God basically be use them as a conduit for his blessing on the people before they head out and go back to their daily lives. And so that's, that's the idea. That's a little bit of where it came from, but we'll get into that in a deeper fashion here in a moment. And what is the the blessing that we say? The blessing that we say at the end of service is, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. And then the the congregation responds with amen, which is may it be so. And you mentioned that that is from uh, the Old Testament. So can you talk to us where the area of the Old Testament that is found and why, why it was it given, um, who it's connected with and how it was used uh, for, for the Jews? Sure. So it's in Numbers chapter 6, and so it was given 
uh, from the priests to the people. And so it was the same thing. They're kind of closing, closing thought, closing blessing. And there's a whole bunch of things that they do, which are really quite beautiful. Some of them were taken into the Christian church, specifically Luther and his German mass brought it back and uh, put it back into play through the, the pastorate of his church. But that's where it was. It was a given by God to man to hand down to the people. And so it's a, it's a passing of God's blessing through the priest to the people for them to receive and hear uh, that God loves them and cares for them. And, and, and that's where it stems from. I mean, that's where it comes from, and we just repeat that pattern. And the Jewish faith still repeats that pattern. And so uh, they will do this in their services, after their services. Um, it's also, I believe, done... I'm not a Jewish expert, but I, I'm pretty sure it's done also at the turning of age, the... the uh, what is it called when a Jewish person, a little boy, becomes a man? Bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah. There we go. For some reason, in my mind, I was thinking of quinceanera, which is a Hispanic thing. But <laughs> anyways, the bar mitzvah, they receive that blessing also. And there's there's different instances and different festivals where parents will also... Uh, basically pray that blessing over their kids as well. So, uh, you know, not being a Jewish expert, I know they still use it a lot. And in the Christian faith, since we are grafted into the Abrahamic covenant and all those things, we're grafted into the root of our faith, that we continue in many of those patterns and many of our traditions stem from uh, the, the Old Testament and the things that were practiced then. And we continue in that pattern as God uses those things to reveal himself through the person of, of Christ Jesus as the perfect sacrifice and completes those things and, and really gives clarity to all those things. And so we, we take a lot of those things that are history and we put them back into practice, especially if we still see them having value. And that's what Luther did. He saw it as having extreme value, and so he put it back into play in his German Mass. Something that I noticed coming not from a liturgical tradition and coming here is in in the past, the way that um, I always experienced and the way that I always practiced as a pastor was when you got to the end of the service and maybe you end with a song and then I would just get up there as a pastor or the pastor would get up there and just say, thank you so much for coming. Have a great, great week. You are dismissed. And people just kind of wander out. So can you talk to me about the significance of um, although we do a greeting similar to that in our contemporary service, we have the benediction, and there's the the benediction, the blessing for the people, and we always, not always, but lots of times we'll, you or I, as we do this, we'll use a language, as you go, receive this blessing. Um, so is there a significant difference between being blessed and sent out into the world, and then or just being dismissed? Is there a difference in those things in your mind, and and why, why is that maybe significant that we use the benediction at the end of the service? Yeah, I mean, the, as you look through the service, we, we come to church look, looking to be connected with, with God, uh, looking to receive his, his benefits and to be reunited. So you work through the whole service, which is exactly what we've been, we have been doing. And you start with confession of forgiveness, you know, and you, you lay your shortcomings at the foot of the cross, and you begin that restorative process. Uh, you hear his truth through the through the reading of scripture, into the sermon, the creed, all these things. You go to communion, once saying God is connecting with you in a powerful way. And so then as you go, you know, you have been united once again with Christ. 
that relationship is close. Hopefully that's the experience that you've had uh, and the posture that you've had. And then once you, you go, you're receiving this blessing that you're going to carry his light into the world. And you might notice that when I said the blessing, it, it talks about the Lord three times. So it's a, a Trinitarian thought as well poured into that. And then you receive that blessing. And then we go into the dismissal where we say, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, go in peace, serve the Lord. So now it's action oriented, right? You receive God's grace and you're at peace with God, you're restored with God, and now you're to take that out. And so another thing that we do that I kind of failed to mention, it's more of a practice issue, but you'll see posture being a part of the conversation and part of the practice is that when we do the blessings, we raise our hands over the people. And that actually stems all the way back to the Jewish faith. And if you're a Star Trek fan, and if you recall... uh, Okay, Spock, what's the guy's real name? Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy, right? He's passed since gone. Uh, but he he would say, live long and prosper, right? So it's a it's a blessing. And actually, the, the hand gesture he's using is actually has Jewish origins because he was a Jewish guy. And so actually, if a priest were to do the blessing, and we haven't put this into practice, but maybe we will someday, um, you actually take, you know, if you're, start, if you're a Trekkie, right, you, you make the the Vulcan blessing sign and you actually attach the the knuckles of your thumb together and that is how the the priests would do it and when they would do that you, you were supposed to look away so you weren't supposed to look up because through the fingers of the priest was God's basically God looking at you right God looking at you to bless you and so the people would look down some would put like a cloak over their head and they would do the blessing, and then they would look up, and that's when they would basically, we say amen, and they would say, may it be so, or something of that of that nature. And uh, so anyways, we typically lift up our hands, so it's a posture of this this blessing is coming to you, it's, we're open-handed, right? We're giving you something, and uh, Pastor Eric is very good about this. I'm, I'm less in this vein, so I don't, I don't, doing physical gestures in general is really a stretch for me, because I came from a tradition where Anything like that was considered like charismatic and and strange and and frowned upon because drawing attention to yourself and things like that. Uh, but there's people in the congregation who do a good job with this. Pastor Eric does a good job with this. That when he's not giving the blessing, he will actually uh, invert his hands so his, his hands aren't facing downward; they're facing upward to receive. And so it's a, re- a reception of. God's blessing in your life, that uh, you can take his truth and put it into practice. He loves you. He, he wants you to uh, really become all that you can be. And so you receive that blessing, you take that blessing, and then that's when we get to the dismissal or, or the sending that we talked about a second ago. Yeah, that was all really good. And I, and I also want to add, there's, there's kind of an implicit... Um, and we we're already like deep in the weeds now about like the history and some of these things. So um, I'm not afraid to to go even further into the weeds. But when we talk about um, like a biblical theology, what how all these things are connected with one another? What was going on when the ironic blessing was given? Was um, the people of God were renewing covenant and they were renewing. 
um, being the kind of people that God wants to rule the world, to do, to um, have dominion over the world, to care for it. Um, so when when the people of God received the blessing, the the ironic blessing, they the the whole idea was that they were a recreated people who were then sent out, much like um, God when He created Adam and Eve, He blessed them um, and said, "Be fruitful and multiply." And have dominion over the earth. So that's it's like similar. It's a similar idea. Um, then God also told Abraham that through Abraham, this is of course is after the fall, that through Abraham the whole world was going to be blessed. That the people of God had a had a mission. They had something to do. Um, that was to listen to God and to obey Him, and to be His people. To be the kind the, the new kind of people that the world needed. Um, and then, of course, Jesus, after he, after toward the end of his ministry, after he was resurrected, he, of course, blessed the disciples, and he gave them the great commission: go into all the earth, um, and and spread the kingdom. Right, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you into all the world. So there's kind of this there's this connection um, from the great commission to the liturgical worship life of the the Jewish people of the Israelites. Um, who were sent out after being recreated in worship and renewing the covenant to Abraham, who was called to be separate and to follow God and to bless the whole world, all the way back to Adam and Eve, who were blessed and told to multiply and um, to fill the earth and, and subdue it and care for it. So there's this idea that when we, as we come to the end of our worship experience, we have been, and you mentioned this, Pastor Ben, we've been recreated. We've experienced God's voice. We've listened, well, we've received his forgiveness, first of all. We've come into his presence and we've confessed our sins, recognizing that we fall short of his glory and he forgives us of our sins. And then we listen to his word. We respond in faith by receiving the sacrament and, um, and we're grafted into Christ through that sacrament, through the Holy Communion, and then we're sent away as a renewed and recreated people to do what Adam and Eve were blessed and told to do, to do what Abraham was blessed and told to do, to do what the Israelites were blessed and told to do, and to do what the disciples were blessed and told to do, which is to create and initiate God's kingdom on earth and be a different kind of people from our neighbors who don't follow God, who don't listen to him. We're called to love and to care for the earth. We're called to love and to care for our neighbors. We're called to love and care for our communities, and we're called to love and love God and and to seek him. So really when we're doing that blessing, um, and we don't really expect people in, in the pew to connect all of those dots right there every Sunday, but I, I hope that, that what happens is that over a lifetime of hearing that blessing and being sent out, that they begin to make those connections, that um, what the disciples were called to do, what the Israelites were called to do, what Abraham was called to do, what Adam and Eve were called to do, we are also called to do. So we are blessed we are given a promise from God. Um, we are given a blessing that he will keep us, that he will bless us, that his face will be upon us, um, and that he'll look look over us and, and keep us and protect us. Um, so I think that's really powerful that we're sent away, um, not, just, not just randomly dismissed um, to just go about our business, but we're sent. We are, we are told to go out and we are commissioned through this blessing and then through our dismissal like go in peace, serve the Lord. I think those things are connected. We are sent out, given this blessing, 
that Adam and Eve were given, that Abraham was given, that the Israelites were given, that the disciples were given, um, to go and spread the kingdom um, wherever wherever it is that we we are. So I think that that's really cool. We talked a little bit about um, what the benediction was, about why we're sent away. So I guess my next logical question is, when we're sent away, what is it that we are supposed to do? Like, the, the worship service is over, we've been blessed, and we've been dismissed um, by giving the benediction, and then the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus go in peace, serve the Lord. What, what does that mean, and, and what are we sent out to do? We actually just had this conversation uh, with my outreach team. So when I say we, I mean the outreach team. And we're talking about it, and there's always this this tendency to think that that outreach or evangelism or sharing our faith is an event. And so a lot of times we'll get kind of get bogged down in these conversations, and I'll try to kind of recorrect. Uh, these things aren't bad. Like an, an outreach event isn't bad but it's not actually the best. Like you can pay twenty, thirty thousand $30,000, maybe bring in a, a band and a big time speaker and invite a bunch of people. And, you know, maybe, maybe you'll make an impact, but the best impact is the connection of the people to the ministry that God has called us to in the great commission. And that's taking our, our lives and taking our time and taking our connections, our unique connections, and then living out that great commission where we are in our vocation, right? So if I'm a student, a, a teacher, a plumber, a business owner, whatever that is, I have unique influence in a specific area with a specific friend group and all these people that I have influence over. And then I do what the great commission says. So I go there and I, I bring Christ into every one of those areas that they can be influenced by the transforming power of Christ. I mean, that's the ultimate outreach event. Every day and every moment that we're not in our 10 o'clock service, our 8.30 service, our 6 o'clock service, we're saying, hey, now you've been made right with God, you've been restored, you uh, have been forgiven all these things, right? Go in peace. You should, you should be in a great place with God, so go in peace. Now, serve the Lord. So as you fix cars and as you hang out with your son and as you do all these things, you bring God into every element. And when you think about that, that's a massive, massive net that we're sending out. You know, typically on a weekend, we have 330-some people in our church. If every one of them took that and put it into practice— influence their kids, their grandkids, their neighbor kids, their students that they teach, the the teammates that they play with, the kids that they coach, whatever that is, if they have that impact, that's significantly better than an event that we can do once a year. And maybe, maybe, maybe actually gather some people who don't believe, but most of the time those things just gather a bunch of people who already follow Christ and they just love whatever the band is, or they're looking forward to hear a big-time speaker. But really, the evangelism is simple, that God has placed us in a specific place with people who already love us, right? They already like who we are. That's why they're our friends. And then they listen to us, right? We have conversations, and hopefully we have conversations that actually matter. 
And when we have conversations that actually matter, we dig into the real issues of life. You know, how's your marriage? How are your finances? Um, how are you feeling? What's really going on? And it's those places, those natural places where we get to serve the Lord, right? Bring them peace, bring them comfort, give them God's truth. And then we share faith, right? We share faith with them. Maybe it's an invitation to church, or maybe it's a direct conversation, or maybe it's a book we hand off. It, it might be a video we give them or something of that nature. But that's what we do, right? We're, we serve God. That's our purpose. And so the jobs we do and the places uh, that that we, we work at and all those things, the schools that we go to, those are just a catalyst to serving God, right? I'm a student, so I pass my courses, but really... As someone who's taken the Great Commission seriously, that's my mission field. I'm a missionary to the high school while I'm taking algebra. And the same thing happens all throughout our lives, right? I'm, I own an automobile shop, whatever that is. Maybe I'm an automobile salesman. And I sell cars to allow me to be in the space and the place where I interact with customers, coworkers, uh, maybe bankers. It's all those things is understanding that when we go out and when we live our lives, we're all missionaries, we're all on mission, we're all serving God, and then God places us where our talents lie. And so that's something I want everyone to know and understand. Uh, it obviously, obviously, I haven't done a good job, or maybe <laughs> the church hasn't done a good job throughout their lives that we tend to default to what kind of event can we throw instead of what kind of lives can we live. And if we can actually hold on to that and grasp onto that, I mean, no matter what church you're a part of, it will make a massive impact in the kingdom. If people are are utilizing six days or or most of seven days to accomplish this goal, I mean, it would be an unbelievable thing to impact a community and a place and a space like that. Yeah, I think that you're. I think that you hit the nail on the head when we we tend to overcomplicate. The Christian life, and what I've noticed is that a lot of people in in our pews, in whatever church I've been a part of, and I've ex- I've felt this too, is that you feel like you're not doing enough, and it's always around, what do I need to do, to evangelize, my neighbors, and it's always framed in this: um, if you're not winning. If you're not, quote-unquote, winning souls to Christ, you're not living the Christian life. And um, in, some, in some aspect, there's some truth in that idea. Um, when Jesus sent the disciples out into the world, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, so that is what, I mean, we are called to make new disciples. But um, for the Christian, really what, what being a Christian is, is just living in Christ, so wherever, and you mentioned this, wherever you find yourself, if you're a teacher, if you're a mechanic, if you're a factory worker, if you're an administrator, if you run a business, whatever it is, you are in Christ. You are part of Christ. You are part of his body. So just live like it. Behave like it. Um, live in the power of Christ, which means that you're going to operate your business, if you're a business owner, much different than somebody else will. And that's going to raise questions because it's going to seem foolish. Um, Being generous is going to seem foolish. Um, Being kind and forgiving is going to seem foolish. 
um, being compelling um, and being compelled to love others who seem unlovable it seems foolish. Um, when you're in in your home, um, being a Christian and building the kingdom is like when you make a pot of coffee, you you go take your wife a cup before you get yourself one. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not that complicated. It's just loving other people really well. And while you love people really well, while you run your business that way, while you work hard, work work unto the Lord, um, and you have excellence in your craft, which we should all be working toward is excellence in our craft, that, that's honoring God, um, then while you're doing those things, you have those conversations about Jesus. The reason that you do those things is because of Jesus. The reason that you live your life that way is because of Jesus. Um, so then those conversations can just be grafted into what you're doing, um, which is just living life well, living life with wisdom. Um, and so I think that, that you're right, that we tend to think of it as event-based or I need to have more, um, more like, quote-unquote, soul-winning conversations where you're like, you know, doing the work of apologetics and trying to convince somebody about whatever, the viability of the resurrection or the viability of, of whatever it is. Um, when in reality, those things can happen, but that's not the normal, that's not the normal Christian experience. Um, just doing your work well in a loving way and having those kingdom conversations while you're doing those things. So, um, yeah, the reason that you work so hard, um, it was well, because I want to honor Jesus. The reason I'm working so hard is because I want to serve my community in this capacity. The reason that I am generous with my income is because I want to serve others because that's what God did for me. He loved me so much that he gave up everything. Um, so to me, like that's, I think that you're exactly right. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated. It's, it's actually fairly simple. You just do what you do well, and then you talk about Jesus <laughs> while you're doing those things. And you have those conversations that honor the Lord. Um, and so I like that. Um, we're sent, go in peace. We've been, we've have peace with God now. Um, through his forgiveness and through his, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord by loving him and honoring him, by loving others and honoring them, and by proclaiming Jesus, by saying that we're doing those things because because of Jesus. One of the interesting things as I engage with our missionaries that are around the world is they're actually beginning to change how they do mission work to how we should actually be living our lives in the States. And so what's what's happening is we tend to look at missionaries and say, okay, they've dedicated their lives to go engage with strangers and, and share Jesus to people and places that have never heard. And, and that's somewhat true. Um, but what they're doing now, interesting enough, is a lot of them that I'm talking to is they're actually buying businesses or trying to start businesses to put themselves in places and spaces where they have ongoing engagement with regular people. And so they're actually reverting back to how we should be living already. So they're going to a place, you know, typically it's not the United States, right? So it's someplace out there where like we have someone in, in Germany and someone in Southeast Asia and things like that. So they're starting businesses now so they can engage with coworkers. They can engage with uh, people who come in and frequent their shop, things like that. So they can engage with them so they have a place and a space to do exactly that. So as Americans, as people in the American Christian church and other churches around the world, we, all we have to do is 
is return to what we should have been, right? So we are missionaries as well. So we are not uh, a business owner who is a Christian, right? I'm not a plumber who is a Christian. I'm not a teacher who is a Christian. I'm not a, a basketball player who is a Christian. I'm a Christian who's a, a basketball player. I'm, I'm a Christian who's a plumber. I'm a Christian who owns a business. And it's that's very, very different. That's very, very different. And that's actually the posture these missionaries are taking. They're a Christian, right? They're a missionary, and now they're going to own an ice cream shop and things of that nature. So in the United States, we have plenty of missionaries. We have plenty of Christians. We just need those people to flip how they've been viewing life, that they aren't a farmer who's a Christian. They are a Christian who is a farmer. And because of that, they have unique relationships and unique connections, and they go unique places that no one else goes because there's other people that we don't, we don't grow corn. We don't grow soybeans. We don't, we don't do whatever that is. And so it's just getting every Christian to understand that it's a different understanding that you're a Christian who does this. You're always a Christian who does that. You're a Christian who lives out their lives in that vocation, in that place. And that's the beauty of us sending everyone out that go in peace, serve the Lord, be a Christian in the place where he has planted you for a season. And it allows us to impact our world in a powerful way. If we take hold of it, if we live it out, if we hear those words and actually put them into practice and do it, especially collectively, we could do something really, really amazing in the world. Mm-hmm.